So I don't know if you know this about me, um, but I love music. I've always loved music, ever since I can remember. Uh, I played the saxophone in grade school. Uh, I remember sitting in the car with my parents, going places, listening to the oldies station, uh, listening to 40s, 50s, and 60s music, and I can probably still sing a lot of it. And uh, when I was younger, when I was in my teens and 20s, uh, I listened to a lot of rap music. Now, I know there's people in here that would say rap's not music, but I think it is. And I enjoyed that a lot. But as I've gotten older, um, I've learned to appreciate other styles of music, more genres of music, more forms of music. And I began to wonder why, as I was writing my introduction for this message this week, I began to wonder why, why do I love music so much? Why has it been such a big part of my life? And I think I figured it out. Music has the ability to elicit emotional responses from us. Songs can make us feel things. Sadness, happiness, regret, love. Some songs help us escape. Maybe we're having a chaotic time in our life and we need to calm down a little bit and relax. So we put on some smooth jazz and just sit on the couch. Maybe we have some anger that we need to get out. So we listen to some heavy, pounding rock music to get that anger out of our system. Maybe we're obsessing about something that we, we can't stop thinking about. So we put on a familiar song, a song that we know the words to that we can sing along with so that we can get lost in that song and forget about the thing that we are obsessing about. Some songs are memorable. They mean something to us. They might remind us of someone or something from our past. Some songs are relational. We can relate to them, especially if they share a common life experience with us, such as heartbreak, falling in love, being with friends and family. And some songs are just fun. They're just fun. We like them. They make us get up out of our seat. They make us want to move. They make us want to get somebody else to sing along with us. So I realized in my life that's why I love music so much, because I can use it to elicit a variety of emotional responses. Now, one genre of music that I left out here is Christian music. Now, Christian music is relatable. Some songs are fun. Uh, there's things that we can get out there memorable. But a majority of Christian music is not about us. It's about God. That music sings about the nature of God, the beauty of God, the grace of God, the love of God the history of God and His people, the things that God has done in the past, is doing now, and will do in the future. All of the topics of these songs should lead us to singing them or listening to them in a state of adoration, a state of praise, a state of thanksgiving toward the God we serve, the God we worship. We praise Him. We thank Him with our thoughts with our voices, with our hearts. And that's because God is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. He's worthy of our praise and thanksgiving because of who He is and what He's done for us. And our psalmist will discuss that very idea this morning in Psalm 95. You can turn there now if you'd like in your Bible. There's a Bible in front of you if you want to use your Bible app on your phone. We're going to be looking at Psalm 95. I'm also going to put it on the screen for us as well. But this psalm, Psalm 95, the writer basically demands us to praise and thank God. And 
will give us an example of what happens when we don't. But what I truly want to relate to you today, if you leave here with anything, is this, that praise and thanksgiving should not just be something we do. It should become a part of who we are. Praise and thanksgiving should be a part of who we are. We should remain in a constant state of praise and thanksgiving toward our God as followers of Christ, as children of God. And the psalmist will also give us reasons why that should be the case. The writer will reveal things to us about God that should lead us to a constant state of praise and thanksgiving. So let's look at Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving. Let us sing songs of praise to Him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds in His hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to Him, for He made it. His hands form the dry land, too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. If you would only listen to His voice today, the Lord says, Don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though I, they saw everything I did. For forty years I was angry with them, and I said, They are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now, my favorite phrase in this entire passage is, let us shout joyfully, because I cannot sing. I am very thankful that the psalmist is giving me permission to shout joyfully to the Lord. Now, I know some of you out there can relate. And I just want you to know it's okay. We're allowed to. We're allowed to shout. But we want to make sure that it's joyfully shouting to the Lord. And the rest of you can sing because I know you can. So, I mentioned earlier that the writer of the psalm will give us reasons why we should praise and thank God. Well, I identified four from this passage. Now, if you sat down and read this passage and you pondered it and you meditated on it, you probably discover more than four. But the four I picked were the ones that are clear and obvious. They're right in our face in the text here. You can't really miss them. And they describe the nature and character of God, which makes Him worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. First, God is our salvation. He saves us. He saves us from our sin. The psalmist specifically calls Him the rock of our salvation. Now, I'm going to go through these quickly, this list, and I'm going to break down each one individually later, but I just wanted to give you the list first. Second, God is almighty, and He is the only God of the universe. Even if you believe in other gods, He is the King above those gods. Third, He is our Creator. He is the Creator. The psalmist says, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. 
And finally, He is our shepherd. We are His flock. He cares for us and watches over us. We are called to listen to His voice. Now, if you've ever had somebody come up and say to you, I have good news and bad news, which do you want to hear first? Most of us usually pick the bad news because we want to get the anger, the sadness out of the way so we can make room for the happiness and the positivity that comes with the good news. So, in relation to our topic today, I want to give you the bad news first. And the bad news is there are consequences. There are consequences when we choose to blame God instead of praise God. There are consequences when we choose to live in a state of ungratefulness compared to a state of thanksgiving. And in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we can read multiple examples of God punishing His people for, let's say, their negativity. There are moments when God specifically lays down a punishment for a disobedient act by His people. But in my opinion, in the present time, in 2023, I think there are enough natural consequences to our negativity that God doesn't necessarily have to lay down specific punishments upon us. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying He can't. And I'm not saying He doesn't. But I believe that it's not as prominent. Because when we live in a constant state of blaming and ungratefulness, it affects our mood. It affects our demeanor. It affects the way that we treat other people. It affects the way that other people treat us. When we have an aura of negativity around us, people don't really want to be near us. I mean, they'll probably be cordial, and they'll say hi and how are you doing, but they're probably going to try their best to keep their distance because they don't want you bringing their positivity down. Have you ever met a super negative Christian? Someone that claims to be a Christian, but all they seem to be is negative? Now, in my opinion, I wonder about their relationship with Jesus. Where is your relationship with Jesus at? Because when you have a relationship with Jesus, it should bring about joy and peace, contentment, kindness, grace, love. Now, we're all human, and we don't always get it right. But when we have a relationship with Jesus, we should want to become more like Jesus. And Jesus is all of those things. He exhibited all of those things. Joy, gentleness, kindness, self-control, peace, love. I believe that the number one natural consequence to living in a state of negativity is an unfulfilled relationship with God. Because we tend to miss the blessings that God has given to us. We tend to miss the blessings that God is giving to us currently. Because all we're concerned about is the negative. And the number two consequence to living in a state of negativity is an unfulfilled relationship with others. Both of those consequences lead to loneliness, depression, sadness, social withdrawal, a lack of trust, straight-up apathy. And again, sometimes we'll miss the blessings that God has given us. And the psalmist... In our passage, it's given us an example 
of what happens when an entire community lives in a state of blame and ungratefulness. We are given a real-world, historical example of what happens when we live in a constant state of negativity. It's summarized in our passage in verses 8 to 11. But I want to go back, I want to read back, and I want to go back into the Bible to look at the actual story, where this came from. So we can find out what actually happened, and we can learn what not to do in our personal lives and our relationships with God. The Lord says, in verse 8, Don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For forty years I was angry with them. And I said, They are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Well, to understand what happened and why it happened, we need to go back to the book of Exodus. Genesis is the first book, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We need to go to chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. Exodus 17, 1 to 7. Now, to give you some background, God's people were just freed from slavery from the Egyptians. And they had, Moses had parted the Red Sea, they had escaped the Egyptians, and they were out in the wilderness, and God was leading them to a new location. Verse 1 says, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink. I said water because I'm from this area. Give us water to drink, he demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used to, that you struck the water of the Nile. Call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord with us or not? Now, at first glance, the actions taken by Moses and the Israelites seemed fairly innocent. They were thirsty. They wanted water. And his story, this story seems like something we can relate to in our own lives when we're unhappy about a situation that we're currently in. But you see, God's people, the Israelites, were in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And after 10 days of bringing punishment upon the Egyptians, God brought the plagues against Egypt. God freed them. And the Israelites were spared from these punishments. For example, they got to keep their firstborn sons. The Egyptians did not. 
And God freed them after 400 years to go on a new journey led by himself. Through his trusted messenger named Moses, they witnessed Moses parting a large body of water in two to cross it to get away from the Egyptians. But within a few days, they started complaining. They started grumbling. They started blaming God and Moses for their current situation. Now, it seems innocent, right? We've been there. We've had moments in our lives where we're not happy. And we'll blame God, we'll blame others for our situation. They brought a concern to Moses. They were thirsty. He brought it to God. God told him what to do. He struck the rock, rock water came out, and the Israelites were no longer thirsty. Now, if you read this passage too fast, you'll miss the point as to why God is angry with them. Why the psalmist is referring to this story to tell us what not to do. God is angry because none of this should have happened in the first place. None of this should have happened in the first place. But since it did, Moses should have shared a message of positivity with them to counteract their negativity. He should have shared the things I just said. Because Moses was God's appointed leader. Moses should have said to them, God saved us, people. He freed us from slavery. He has not forgotten or forsaken us. He is guiding us. He is protecting us. He is taking us to a place where we will experience peace and prosperity. You see that cloud of fire at night that he's showing us? We're following that to somewhere special. That cloud during the day, we're following that too. We must be patient and trusting. I know you're thirsty. I know it's been three days, but we're okay. We have to trust God because He brought us out of captivity and He's taking us to prosperity. But that's not what happened. The people complained. Moses complained. God got angry. But what I love about this story, too, is that it also shows the grace of God. Even though they were disobedient, even though they were grumbling and complaining, even though they were ungrateful, he still had Moses strike the rock to give them water. But they were punished for 40 years. That generation of Israelites never made it to the place of peace and prosperity. Their children did, which is great. But the punishment was severe. And this story was so important that it was handed down for thousands of years, from generation to generation. It's also mentioned in Deuteronomy 33.8. It's mentioned in Numbers 20.13, and it's mentioned in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, and chapter 4, verse 7. That means this story has been shared for thousands of years of what not to do. We should not want to live like this generation of Israelites. We should live in a constant state of praise and thanksgiving toward our God so we can experience peace and prosperity, so we can experience joy and kindness and grace and love in our lives. So, why should we constantly praise and thank God? Well, let's get back to our list. First, God is the rock of our salvation. 
When biblical writers refer to God, refer to Jesus, refer to Peter as a rock, they're not referring to some pebble in a creek, some stone on the side of the road, some loose impediment. They're referring to a rock, a boulder, a mountain, something that cannot be moved. God saves us. Period. There's no other option. There's no other method. God saves us. And despite their negativity, I'm sure the Israelites knew that. So they either chose to ignore it or forget it. But God saved them. God saves us through our faith in Jesus. When we choose to believe in Jesus, God removes the consequences of our sin. He frees us from our captivity to our sin. He gives us life, new life. He makes us a new creation and gives us things that we never knew about. Because we were living for this world and now we're living for Him. That truth has never changed. It will never change because that truth is contained inside the rock of our salvation. God has never changed. God will never change. He is constant. His offer of salvation is available to all of us who place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The second reason why we should constantly praise and thank God is because He is Almighty. And He is the only God that exists. We can believe in other gods, but there is no other God than the God of the Bible. The God of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Peter, John, James, and us. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the great I Am. That should be comforting for us. That should be comforting knowing that there is only one who is in control. There is only one with our best interests in mind. There is only one responsible for the blessings in our lives. There is only one worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. It's so nice to know that when I need to pray, I know who to pray to. I don't have to worry about which God it is, which saint it is, which God is responsible for which part of my life. Is it the God of love? Is it the God of wisdom? Is it the God of peace? Who do I pray to? We know. Because there's only one. And it's our God, our Father. This is why the Apostles' Creed begins with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Which is the third reason why we should live in a constant state of praise and thanksgiving as children of God. God is our creator. God is the creator of all things. Verses 4 and 5 in our song. He holds his hands, holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The seas belong to him, for he made them. His hands form the dry land too. God is also responsible for our very existence. He breathed his breath into our lungs and he gave us his spirit. He gave us his life. He gave us life. There is nothing without God. 
There's no moon, no stars, no sun, no animals, no birds, no plants, no humans. Without God, there is nothing. And that God, that all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present God wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with you. A personal and intimate relationship. He wants to talk with us. He wants to influence us. He wants to listen to us. He wants to guide us. Individually. That God that we serve, He's almighty. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. And He has the ability to have a relationship with each and every single one of us individually. And through that individual, he can have a relationship with his community, with all of God's people all across this planet. Our Creator deserves our praise and thanksgiving because without him, there is nothing. The fourth reason why we should continuously praise and thank God is because he is our step. If you have been a churchgoer for any lengthy period of time, You've heard a message about comparing humans to sheep. It's kind of insulting, but it's usually the truth. But today, I want to share more about why God is our shepherd. Psalm 95.7 says that we are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. A great summary of God is our shepherd is Psalm 23 which is many a Christian's favorite Bible passage. It was Araceli Taillet's favorite passage. I'm sure it gave her hope and comfort in her times of need before she went to be with Jesus. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. God's provision, God's peace, peace, strength, guidance, closeness, protection, comfort, anointing, goodness, and love as our shepherd makes him worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. He is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving no matter what we are going through. Because he's with us. He's caring for us. He's watching over us. We are his flock. I hope the things I've presented to you today have at least touched a small piece of your heart your mind, and your soul. See, living in a constant state of praise and thanksgiving toward our God is vital. I'm not using that word lightly. It's vital to our lives as Christians. 
because without Him, we are dead in our sin. God saves us from our death. He saves us from sin. He gives us new life in Christ. He offered His Son up on a cross as a sacrifice for us. He is our salvation. He is the only God. He is our Father. And He wants a personal and intimate relationship with each and every single one of us. He is our Creator. He created us. He put breath into our lungs. He created a dwelling place for us on this earth. And finally, He is our Shepherd. And if you've read Luke 15, the parables in Luke 15, you'll know that if one of us gets lost, He does everything in His power to find us and bring us back into the flock. Because we we mean that much to Him. Because He should mean that much to us. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the God we sing to. That's the God we bring praise and thanksgiving to. Constantly, continuously, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of our lives. Bringing praise and thanksgiving to God should not just be something we do. It should become a part of who we are. Praise and thanksgiving to our Lord and King. Amen.